Hey guys, thanks for joining us for another edition of the Exponential Nuts and Bolts of Church Planting. I'm Sean Cronin, your host as always. Uh, and today we've got a uh, not only a special guest like we have every week, but we've got a special co-host this week, Patrick Bradley. My co-worker is on travel. Um, so I've got my friend Elijah. Um, he's here for all the way coming us, you know, zooming from cold, wintry Buffalo, New York. Uh, Elijah, how much snow you got there in Buffalo? <laughs> we we got a little bit, and uh, I was like, it was uh, a couple of weeks ago. It was eighty degrees, and then like Buffalo, just a nice little snowstorm. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. Well, thanks for joining us, Elijah. So Elijah and I were, were friends from from Buffalo. I'm from Buffalo, home of the AFC East champs, reigning champs, Buffalo Bills. <laughs> oh yeah, Bills Mafia, baby. Now, um, Elijah, you're a church planter. So tell us just a little bit about your church plant. Yeah, uh, I, I plant a multi-ethnic, multicultural church in uh, called Resurgence City in the city of Buffalo. Um, and we've been, uh, man, just going at it for since 2018. And so September this year will be three years, man. Love it. Love it. Sweet. Awesome. Well, uh, at Pesh for Planting, we say that we live in, we live in the how of church planting. We actually didn't give that. We didn't say that of ourselves, but our friend Ricky Brown, church planter from Chicago said, man, you guys live in the how. He's like, we go to a lot of conferences, hear a lot of inspirational rah-rah talks, but you guys live in the how, like you guys help us kind of put some framework around what we're, what we're doing so that we can actually uh, accomplish the vision that God's given us. And well, we've been inspired from the work of Will Mancini. Um, and so we're excited to have him as our guest today, as we, you know, we think about uh, kind of channeling our ministry efforts and making sure that we're not only having great visions and great, uh, you know, great dreams, but then thinking about what are the steps that we should be taking so that we can help those dreams become reality. Um, and so I know I've been encouraged and inspired and challenged every time I hear Will speak or read one of his books or read a blog. I'm always, man, I gotta, I've got some homework to do. Um, I know Elijah's in that same boat. Um, you know, it has been encouraged and equipped by his, his teaching and his, his, his tools. And so we're excited to have Will on our show today. So Will, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm great. Excited to be with you guys and uh, love, uh, love the work that you guys are, are doing year after year to uh, resource and serve planners. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So now you're in Houston, Texas, right? I, I am in Houston. Just got in um, late last night. Just, just before the call, my four-year-old, I have three kids out of the house in their 20s. So I've got a four-year-old. She's brought me my gift to her, when I get on a plane more than two nights, I bring her a little gift. So I got her a little Lego bracelet. So now I've got my, just, just in case you catch this little pink okay. bracelet and you're like, <laughs> is Will doing a new initiative he hasn't told us about? And I'm like, no, I'm just riding, riding uh, with my little, with my little girl on our, on our fun jewelry uh, day here. So nice. Very I, cool. I, I totally get that. I, so uh, I may literally just, duck out in the middle of this conversation because my wife is due like any day now, like any second. So like, if you see me awesome. just. <laughs> Congratulations, Elijah. That's awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Nice. All right. Well, Will, um, yeah, again, thanks for joining us. Can you just give us, I know, I know a lot of people are probably familiar with who you are and maybe, maybe you know, some of the books that you've yeah. written, but maybe there are some people who aren't. Um, so give us a little introduction to, you know, who's Will Mancini and, you know, what led you into ministry in order to, you know, in serving churches? Sure, sure. Well, uh, do go do a quick recap on, on everything. I mean, grew up really in a, in a, uh, like a mildly churched home that didn't, didn't get exposure to the gospel until I was in eighth grade. I was in Augusta, Georgia. My mom came to Christ there. Uh, that's where, uh, I found the Lord in a, in a local church setting. I, it was a Presbyterian church there in Augusta. And as we, as we kept moving, um, uh, would go to more of a kind of a Bible church, Baptist churches as we moved around. But went to Penn State, was involved in crew at Penn State. And really, that was where my passion for just evangelism and Bible study, you know, flourished through guys who discipled me. And uh, man, got a chemical engineering degree and thought, I think I want to do ministry, not make... Um, you know, chemical plants. 
and uh, went to Dallas, went to D- Dallas Seminary a couple of years later and uh, really uh, connected with Aubrey Malfurst, which is kind of, you know, think old school, you know, 90s style church planning, right? He was a guy doing a lot of church planning stuff. So really had a, my, my own passion for planting uh, grew, if you will, in the, in the 90s there at DTS. And uh, went, went to uh, the, one of the best planners assessment at the time was uh, the Union Baptist Association in Houston. They were doing, uh, I'd identified like three or four like good assessment centers. That one was closer and cheaper, which is the love language of any planter. And uh, so high quality, close to home, inexpensive, went to Houston for a week. Uh, well, they had 11 assessors um, and, and there's about eight of us being assessed. And so I just had an immersion week and they kind of, it was funny because the guy who was my kind of mentor that for the church planners assessment, I didn't realize that he was recruiting. So I think now maybe I was not fully green light ready, but here's how, here's how he approached me. His name's Bruce Wesley. He's like, Willie goes, man, you guys are, I, I think you're ready to do this, but, but you ought to get some experience in a growing church. That's a church planning church. And then we'll release you out. So he recruits me to come to his church uh, in, you know, for a two year run. And I'm like, Bruce, that sounds awesome. You know, I'm kind of excited to go out and start, but I'll, I'll do, you know, I'll do two years with you. And he's like, well, well, what we need right now is we need a children's pastor. I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm out like, no way, you know? And he, he was the best recruiter in the world. He's like, well, he goes, you know, let's come plant a church within a church. And it was, it was uh, in the mid nineties. And it was kind of the, the, the kid, the, the large group kids worship stuff was new. Like, so we're, we're doing, he was doing age graded Sunday school classes meeting in a elementary school. And we're just trying to get this thing off the ground, but it's growing fast. You know, by the way, it was easy to grow fast in the nineties in the suburban growth spiral. Not, not the same now, totally different context. But at that moment, I basically jumped on and I did not plant out of that church because I just became a ministry entrepreneur. I was just building teams as we were growing. So we, we, I think in five years, we, we grew to about 2,500 uh, from a couple hundred after a plant. And I just, in the process of having other strategic outsiders come in while we were trying to get our legs underneath us and just not wreck <laughs> the ship, you know, as, as, as people were coming, um, I had this fascination with that, that other role in the seat. And by this time, I had refined my role, one, you know, one of the one of the things I'm really passionate about is just, you know, life planning, life design. This is one, one, of, the, one of the books we do that we're really not talking about right now, but maybe, maybe the most important book for planters is your own life design. I mean, what, what are you called to do? This is a great playbook for the co-vocational, just that, you know, all the, I think the creative possibilities of what does it mean to do vocational discipleship and, 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 and some of the creative planting strategies we have. Um, but so um, I had had my ideal role description in the local church, but I was still fascinated by the consulting role. So basically I experimented in the early two thousands. And uh, the more I experimented, the more I think I was like, well, I think this is my full-time gig. So 2001, July of 2001, I went full-time into this coaching consulting. It would take me five to 10 years to realize I love designing and creating tools and processes that bring breakthrough clarity for the church. And so, you know, my deepest passion now are, what is the right tool right now for each, for everyone listening so that you are leading from crystal clarity on there? And that's, and it's not about certainty. There's a lot of things we can be uncertain about, but I want to help, you know, leaders confidently articulate those things that should be knowable and nameable in your ministry today. Yeah. Cool. Hey, can I, can I, so, um, jump in and ask you a quick question. Um, for me, I don't know if you remember me, actually. We met four years ago uh, at Exponential. We were, uh, you came to- Elijah, who can, who, can forget, who can forget a face like <laughs> Elijah? Man? Come on, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, man, no, you, uh, you came and spoke to my tribe, Wesleyans. It was about 450. Yeah. We actually yeah. got your books and I, I, I got a chance just to uh, talk to you for a couple of seconds, but- um, yeah. As it a, Ed, yeah, it was Ed Love. I know, I know Ed Love's tribe. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I would just like, as a church planner, I think like I was just, I just soaked up everything, right. That, that you were talking about and just seeing how true it is. And you were, you were, you were talking about clarity. Right. And just like, I I would love, I mean, just for other planners, which are just like me, like what is the success fail 
that you have seen when like as a church planner going into planting if you just don't have that kind of like crystal clear clarity not certainty but like clarity about like where how you're going to attack this this thing let me let me approach that elijah i would say i want to give four things that it's not precisely success fail but i'd say there are four things that you'll either have every day or not mm-hmm. and that's where the success or failure is going to come from so if i were to say as a planter what are the benefits of clarity for for you number one it's you have more meaning when you get out of bed in the morning. So the first thing I want to do is protect the job call factor, the continuum of am I doing a job or am I calling? And the earlier you are in, the more you have the energy, the vibe of something fresh, something new. But as, as the water hits the wheel and you're in the hard stuff of, you know, having that daily meaning, that wellspring of energy and vitality that comes from knowing yourself, knowing the nature, clarity is going to nurture and feed that. And that's priceless. I mean, I would, you know, you know, I'm, you know today I might be a four on a one to 10 of my passionate calling. Tomorrow I might be a six or an eight and we're bouncing up and down. I mean, I bounce up and down that depending on the situation, right? Sometimes it's a little more tired and I feel the grind. But if, but if the clarity can help me stay on the, the, the high side of that, of that, of that, you know, again, that calling, it's huge. The mm-hmm. second thing is the um, practical ability to inspire others. Mm-hmm. Look, we need to, we need to understand the word of God. We need to be able to exegete and expose it. And, you know, the guys on the call of the training for that, I'm talking about something different than just preaching the word. I'm talking about, the skillfulness to touch the heart in a way that we know we're dreaming well and we're attending to our dreams. This is not an accidental or incidental thing. This is, and, and, and to understand that, you know, one ounce of clarity is worth a hundred pounds of activity. If I could, mm-hmm. if I've just stewarded that a little bit more. I my one of my favorite moments years ago, I was with Tom, Tom, um, Church planner, led the church for years, was kind of getting stuck where, where it was. He um he was a you know, he was a B, if I'm honest, maybe B minus preacher. Mm-hmm. We'd worked the process. We had 20 leaders in the room. Mm-hmm. Give Tom 15 minutes. Okay, I want you, you know, you're gonna vision cast for 15 minutes, Tom. He did it, 15 minutes on the money. In an awkward but beautiful moment those 20 leaders gave him a standing ovation. He had never gotten a standing ovation in his life. It's like, it's just a little bit of clarity work. Like it's, it, you know, we, you can do this. You can, you can really dramatically increase your ability to, to inspire people. The, so meaning when you get out of bed, the practical ability to inspire people. The third thing, this is actually probably the most, I mean, so practical, it's crazy. It's the ability to focus your resources. I mean, there's never a time where you're more tuned in to how finite this deal is. Mm-hmm. every penny you got to steward well. And the, the, the easiest principle to understand and the hardest one to apply is the two word idea that focus expands. Like you will get so much further and farther if you focus your resources. So the image is, you know, take a magnifying glass on a summer day uh, where you're in your t-shirt and shorts and the sunlight on your, on your skin is comfortable and enjoyable. Now focus that on a pinhead with just a basic magnifying glass, you can start a fire. Mm. And what we're doing is we're living in the mild warmth of running in too many directions when the laws of science will work in the laws of your, your energy as a human being, as a planter, as a planting team, you focus the resources of your, your, your team. It will be unbelievable. I remember the, the first batch of books when God Dreams books came out in December of 2015, I was working with 12 planners in the Houston Church Planning Network. I gave them the book. I gave them four weeks. We came back after Christmas and said, let me see your 1414. Every one of these guys had their single most important goal for 2016. And I remember uh, Jeremiah planted Seven Mile Road that year. Um, I remember, you know, his plan was so compelling. Like, I, I was like, if, if, if you ever wanted folks to, cut a check to your church. Like you bring them a laser focused plan. It's got a dream. It's got a clear next step. 
he executed. He hit his plan early. And um, uh, and nine months later, you know, he opened and it was just a stunning accomplishment, a milestone that he had engineered in his brain, you know, created in his mind first, executed it that year. It was just just stunning. So that focus idea is so is so precious. So meaning uh, out of bed in the morning, uh, inspiring others, having focus uh, with limited resources. And finally, at, at the risk of rambling too much here, it's a idea of uh, freedom. And it's, it's so easy to, uh, I think, uh, have, it's easy for planners to put pressure on themselves. I mean, they're kind of under the gun um, in, so, in so many ways, getting this, you know, I, I would say the distance between zero and one is greater than the distance between one and every other number. That was uh, that Bruce Wesley, that planting mentor of mine in the 90s, you know, taught me that. Um, so it's a hard season. Oh, I think the idea, I love the definition of freedom, that freedom is not doing anything you want to do. But freedom is giving all of yourself to what God has called you to do. And clarity activates that freedom in a very specific way. That's kind of a bookend with that, that calling and that meaning when you get out of bed, the freedom that you feel at the end of the day, you know, is, is uh, I want leaders to have that, that not overconfidence. Sometimes I think leaders, particularly generationally, might think I'm pushing too hard on, on that. And it's maybe it's slick. This is not about being slick. It's about being clear. It's not about arrogance, overconfidence. It's about humble, real self-awareness. And, and um, so that, that, the question is success. Do you succeed or fail over clarity? No, I don't look at it that way. It's a dimmer switch. Either clarity burns bright and who you are becoming and how you are leading is dramatically impacted by that. That's going to lead to more fruitful ministry as a planter. Um, you might not have clarity, but you rely on your charisma and you're going to be, quote, successful. But you may not have as much meaning and focus you know, in your success. Just means you're using your charisma, relying on your charisma, and you're just more tired <laughs> than you have to be. I tell people, I don't, I don't work hard. People oh, well, you know, how do you do it? I don't work hard. I work focused, like, you know, and there's a big difference there. And that, that difference goes a long way when you're, when you're planting. Nice. Thanks, Will, for sharing that. Yeah, if you're just joining us, uh, we're on with Will Mancini. We're talking about, you know, how we're, we're focusing our ministry efforts. Um, and if you have questions along the way, um, you know, any questions, maybe he says something, you know, brings up a question, please just put those in the chat. Um, we'd hopefully we'll have time throughout to be able to answer and address those questions. So feel free to uh, ask those questions. So, Will, my next question is, you know, a lot of church planters that, that I run into, get to work with sometimes, they oftentimes have like a very big vision, you know, so, sometimes it's not super clear, um, but, you know, they got, they got big plans and big dreams. Um, and then oftentimes there's a disconnect when they go out to plant um, as to what they see in their head and then what actually comes kind of kind of to fruition, what becomes a reality. Um, what would you say, you know, what are some common reasons for that? What are they missing? Oh, Will, you're, you're muted, Will. Thanks, guys. Sorry, making sure some background noise didn't come through. The, uh, I want to reframe that and say, I want to, I've never met a church planner who wasn't a visionary, but what that means when I meet them, I'll say before the clarity process, before the clarity work, it means that they have a lot of passion. They have a lot of energy. It doesn't mean they have a lot of clarity. So the average church planner I meet doesn't actually have a very clear vision. They, they have a, they're a visionary. And mo what, 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 so what, what's happening they're a visionary, but they're relying on a general sense of what they want to do, which is what I think, just I want to restate, I think what, what, what you're saying mm -hmm. on that, Sean. Yeah. So it, it is maybe um, that old school Polaroid, I'll use it as a metaphor. I mean, you see over time, right before your eyes, that picture starts getting more, it gets sharper, it gets more defined, it gets clearer. And because of the speed of life, the demands of planting, um, you know, it, it just, we often don't take enough time to let that Polaroid picture clarity get sharper in, in, the, in, the, in the planter's life and in that state that's going from zero to one. Mm 
how, and how demanding it is. So my role is to hit, help them hit pause and realize the return on investment you get when you sharpen and clarify that. So it's the way I'd say it is most planners, all planners are visionary, but most are relying on a general sense of what they want to do and want to get that to a vivid sense. And you're, again, you're robbing yourself of all the benefits of, of, of the dream of vision of clarity. If you're just operating with a general sense, I think the devil smiles on a general sense. What do I mean by general sense? It's super clear what, the default vision frame in the planters of today sounds something like this. Hey, 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 Joe, what's your mission? Love God, love people, serve the city. What are your values? Love God, love people, serve the city. What's your strategy? Love God, love people, serve the city. Well, you know, how are you going to measure success? Love God, love people, serve the city. What's your vision? Well, love God, love people, serve the city. Okay, we got five irreducible questions of clarity, and that's that's a cut and paste Bible verse that has zero clarity in it, zero actionable clarity on five different really key tools that you need in your toolbox as a leader. And of course, you know, I'm having fun, but like, that's just, that, I mean, I've run into that a thousand times. Now you might be gather, grow, go, you know, you might be, you know, gospel centered worship, gospel centered community, gospel centered, you know, you know, missional community, whatever. Like it's, it's like, it's, it's, there's a trifecta of something that sounds cool in the prevailing winds of today's church planning, you know, conferences and books. So, um, you know, yeah, All right. that, that's the, the general sense is going to rob you from a lot of value. Cool. All right. Um, well, let's dig into the book, God Dreams. Um, so I, I think you, you wrote this. Well, tell me, why, why did you end up writing this book in the first place? What was your motivation for writing this book? Yeah. Yep. So I had, I had the, the church unique book that was the kind of the cornerstone of my consulting ministry was really about, you know, articulating your unique disciple making mission and model. And so I would say, you know, and and to put that in context uh, for the, for the audience, you know, 2000 was the height of the cloning conference era. If you were to plot how many pastors, whether you were a planter, didn't matter, went to Saddleback, Willow Creek, North Point to learn how to do ministry, the top, the, the high point was the year 2000. All those models of ministry, all those conferencing models are going to rapidly decline and cease to exist within a few years, basically. And there's still obviously a little, little. So what happened was the missional reorientation came in and in the last 20 years of the missional reorientation, we've not created a highly duplicatable model. In fact, there's been more, I think this isn't necessarily good or bad. I've said there's more fragmentation on how we think, more churches, more books written on how to do church. You know, we kind of shifted the launching large to some, you know, all different kind, you know, different strategies as the missional reorientation came about. So Church Unique was saying in the era of this missional reorientation, how do you actually clarify and refine your, your, your disciple-making mission and um, uh, your, your model of ministry. And just to make sure that's clear, because I'm going to con- answer your question, Sean, come back and contrast it to God dreams. When I say unique disciple-making mission, Jesus gave the church a mission. There's only one mission. So we're saying, how do you uniquely contextualize that? And I'll just, I'm thinking of the last three clients I was with, just churches I'm working with, so you can feel it. Um, you know, Community Bible Church in San Antonio, their mission is... Um, we champion every person to be the good news of Jesus Christ in every place. Uh, was with a, a Methodist church in Atlanta recently. Their, their big idea is trading the pursuit of more for a life worth pursuing. Uh, I'll be, you know, um, driving this afternoon to a church. Their, their mission is inviting people into the uh, unexpected joy of desperate dependence on Jesus. These are mission ideas that are taking the same mission that Jesus gave the church and contextualizing it for, for their time and place, and then building a disciple making strategy scorecard value system around that. So that that's, you know, that's the church unique book. That's the vision framing. So to answer your question, so I'm doing that for 10 years, I've logged 10,000 hours doing that work. And what I realized when it comes to what are you doing next? There's that the, the four sides of the vision frame and that mission doesn't answer where are you going next year? What does the five-year horizon look like? 
So I wanted to create a tool for 10 years. The only way I approached vision was have one big goal at a time. What's your next single big goal? And what I realized after logging 10,000 hours is that we, we, the human heart and the, and the human imagination, I mean, being a leader, having followers, uh, you know, having a local family of believers, having that core team, having your missional communities, whatever your expression is, having your house church network, all of that, all of that God has designed to come from a dream, I mean, to, to be fueled by a dream. And I realized we have no toolboxes today to resuscitate the long-term, the long-range dreaming. That was one of the big uh, problems I wanted to solve. The other thing I had worked, I had been doing execution work, but I didn't call myself, I'm your execution guy. And I had, by that time, I had just uncovered every single how-to, you know, where it's four disciplines of execution, where there's traction, you just go on and on and on about every tool, you know, it's a six by six, every tool I'd ever seen on how to get things done. I had come to the point where I was ready to name and declare my tool for that. So what, what God Dreams represents is how to have, and, and I coined the term visionary plan. We had, quote, vision planning was a really old phrase. Strategic planning was what we did in the 80s and 90s. I, I never said your church needs a strategic plan. You know, I say, you don't need a vision statement. You need a visionary state of mind. You need a horizon storyline. You need a dream, a big idea, and an executable playbook on what you're going to do in the next 90 days. And I wanted to fuse those things together. So this book, here's the, the Godry's book. I would, I would say there's a couple, like the top, I would say the top five problems that church leaders have are, are this. One, you talk vision and there's no time frames. Well, if there's no time frames, you don't have a vision. Because vi vision is, is what we're doing through time and, you know, no time frame, it, it, it ain't working. Uh, the second thing is um, we, we, have, uh, we have vision, but it, 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 it's not anything like the core team practically doesn't feel excited about it. It doesn't touch the heart. Like if it, if it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't, if it's not exciting, it's dead on arrival. I mean, nothing, it just, it's, it's not going to happen. So um, third problem is it's too complex. We try to do too much. Henry Ford said the basic human problem is we try to do too much. And that's true. We're aiming at too much because we've under-processed where God is working. We're not focused. We've already said that. So we got to solve the problem of no time frames. It's not exciting. It doesn't touch the heart. It does, by the way, Henry Mintzberg was a genius strategic planner. He wrote a book called The Rise and Fall of Strategic Planning. So the academic world talked about how strategic planning was done by 2000. Um, and he said, he wrote a huge textbook and basically the big idea was your strategic plan misses the human element. I like to say vision transfers through people, not paper. It doesn't touch the heart. Again, it's dead. So too complex, not, misses the human element, uh, doesn't have timeframes. The other thing is it's, it's so easy for a minute for, for a goal to reduce down to a ministry area or one thing that's in the ministry rather than being a global thing that the entire planting team sees that that's easier. It's that, that problem happens more in the organized church um, than there. So it's the, I call it the team disconnect. We're all operating with our mini version of what the vision is. Not, not, not on the same. Yeah. And the other problem is this, this is so the planners who are listening right now, some of them by nature are amazing dreamers. Some of them by nature are amazing executors. No one is the perfect balance of all of that. You know, you're, you, you, you have a thinking wavelength. Some of you love the idea, you know, ideation. Some of you are possibilitarians. You love talking about it and you are inspir inspirational in the moment and nothing executes behind you. Some of you are killer at getting it done and you can grind out the best plan, but no one ever feels inspired. So I wanted this one tool uh, to solve and take out those problems. So to come back, how do you have a clear, specific gospel dream? What kind of gospel impact will your planting project do in the next five years? And then what, what are you doing about it tomorrow? And having everyone on the planting team just be aligned and like, yes, like that's it. That's us. Let's get after it. Um, not, not overly dreamy and flowery rhetoric with no action and not just, hey, we're going to, 
work ourselves to death without, without that dream fueling our hearts along the way. Mm. So that's what we're after that, that classic idea that, you know, you know, vision, vision without a plan, just, you know, over inspires you and you under activate, you don't do anything, you know, and, and a, you know, an execution plan that's not fueled by a dream, just dots. It's a nightmare, you know? Mm-hmm. Awesome. I was going to say, man, I was amening. I don't know if you saw me shaking my head to like, it almost fell off. <laughs> like, like um, for me, um, and I sure, you know, some church planners might be facing this thing, like inspiring. That was, that was always my thing, but that the time frame and the over complexity burned through my volunteers and, and to the point where I had a rebellion on my hands, like, Hey man, like, and just, I mean, amen. Like, I don't know if you could just stretch that just a little bit. I mean, that, that was like, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's right. Peter Drucker said, if you have five goals, you have none. Hmm. He also said uh, there are no results without a concentration of resources. Jesus is so focused, it's stunning. Reread the Gospels. In Luke 9, he launches his band of 12, gives them authority, sends them out. Um, Look at how many times he says a negative. Like, this is what I want you to do. Here's the playbook. Don't do this. 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 He does it in 50 words. It's a 50-word strategy. His strategy takes 50 words. It is ruthlessly clear. So, clear, I mean, Jesus is this clarity master, you know, and, and, and everything he does. So, yeah, yeah. Takes a little time to get there. But everybody listening, clarity is your birthright. Like, it's accessible to you. That's the important thing. It is not, takes a little work, but you can lead with great clarity. Nice. Yeah. One, one thing we talk about with our church planning residents, uh, when we're talking about developing, you know, your vision, your mission, developing all these clarity tools, as we say, you know, one of the primary roles of the leader is to allocate the finite resources to the critical growth path. Um, you know, how, that's how you build momentum, how you get people and all those resources heading in the same direction. Um, you know, momentum is equals, I think mass times velocity, I think is the equation um so think about god dreams and now the horizon storyline so that's kind of the i think the main visionary tool that you highlight in that book can you just break that down to us you know what is this horizon storyline what are the components of it uh, yeah yeah break that down for us yeah 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 the the creation story is kind of fun my wife romy is a painter and so i was watching her one day uh do a really beautiful kind of autumn forest landscape that we were putting on one area of our uh, above a fireplace of a home we had moved into and I watched her throw away this giant thing she'd been working on and of course I'm cringing because I'm like that means I gotta buy more more of that expensive paper at Texas Art Supply but um, I, I actually started googling like why would an artist throw away their painting you know and I, I came to a image where there was a, 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 an, art, an artist, te- a master teacher uh, of, of painting was, would drew a, a sketch on how to think about the horizons in your landscape painting. And it's common sense, right? There's a, a background, a midground, and a foreground. But it was how, the, um, how that, that teaching was happening where it just triggered this sense of like, you know, what, it, it, what I learned years ago as a consultant is most adults don't want to learn. If you're consulting and trying to get breakthrough, the be- adults always learn best when you build off their biographical experience. Like you, you basically say, you already know what we're about to talk about. Like, let's kind of reverse engineer a life experience. You already know this. So I, I realized, wow, you know what? I, I want to be able to, I want, I want non-visionaries to have great vision. How, how do we do that? Well, hey, if you're not blind, and you're a church leader, if you're not physically blind, you're a church leader, you know everything you need to know about being a visionary because your eyesight is working. That means you see into, into distance, you see a midground, you see a foreground, you see what's right in front of you. And I kind of just, let's go, let's go to a, let's go to driving a car. I like to use driving toward the front range in Colorado. You land in the Denver airport. Many people have traveled enough, done something in Colorado. They can relate to this. You're driving your car in, in the front ranges in front of you. 
where do you spend most of your time looking? You'll crash the car if you stare at the dashboard. You'll also crash the car if you stare at the mountains. So what you do is you look appropriately in your mid-ground. You look appropriately in that 100 yards in front of the car, but you look up at those mountains and it's awesome. Keeps you inspired for the trip. You look down at your dashboard, you know, make sure, you know, everything's going good. You're going the right speed, your oil's working, et cetera. And so what you're actually doing is you're glancing at different horizons all the time. And every single person, by the way, the, the ophthalmologist says the purpose of eyesight is to guide and direct body movement. Well, the purpose of your horizon storyline or 1414 is to guide and direct the body of Christ movement. That's your, that's your, that's your, your planting team or wherever you are in the planting process. Um, and so what, what we're, so what we're saying is do the same thing. What, what, time and distance in front of you with eyesight, we're going to use that as the metaphor to say there's distances in time into the future. So if I'm driving, so what I'm going to do is take that mid-ground, which is where you're looking most of the time, get closer to your foreground, get further away to your background, and we add one more horizon. So the horizon storyline says, think about four horizons. And as a leader, if you didn't hear anything else I, I said, you can master clarity if you a vision, a visionary planning, if you think about four time horizons. Now, the trickiest one is that really far away horizon. And it's tricky because you don't want to try to overplan that. You don't want to control that. There is a ton of uncertainty. But I believe the human heart can it is designed to have a, a long-term trajectory, a dream. And like, you know, if we are, you know, if we're making iPhones, our long-term horizon isn't, you know, you can't, it's a little short because of how much execution and how much culture is changing, but we're, we're not making technology. I mean, we're using technology, but we're making disciples. So the, the agricultural metaphor still works. You can't microwave disciple making. There's still a, as salt and light disciples are developed in a community, in a, in a contextual area, there's all kinds of opportunities to dream on a longer horizon. For church planners, I always lock it into five years. Just what is a what is a five year dream? One church recently articulated that they wanted to really impact the divorce rate in five zip code area, and they weren't doing that through the, the you know what through the ministry in the walls of the church. They were doing it through a marriage mentoring uh, dream that would be kind of connected to their basic disciple making foundation uh, and the fuel of hey we're gonna. We're going to make a difference. You know, it's called the beautiful marriage dream. And they said, you can, you, have a, you can have a wedding in a day, but it takes a lifetime to have a beautiful marriage. And that's, that's, how, we're, that's how we're going to serve our, our city, our community, is through, is, through a, is through an army of marriage mentors. Uh, and every person, who, who, whether you're married or not, you're, you're going to have a place to jump into this dream. Again, that's so specific, right? I hope that whoever's listening is like, Oh, I haven't heard a church planning vision like that. Well, no, you haven't because we don't because you're operating off generic. You know, so what is that specific kind of gospel impact that you can have? And, and by the way, I want to make sure and clarify, it's 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 not it's not about you know social justice only or marriage. I mean, there's a thousand different things we do. So we I would say there's no such thing as a church vision. It's not a disciple making vision first. When I give that illustration, that's not a marriage 501c3 ministry. It's a disciple making playbook that has this dream attached to it, right? Um, so, that's, as a, so that's the long range. And that's where I really, that's what God dreams first. I want to activate that. And I give 12 templates. I basically say, I think the Lord just kind of allowed in my pattern uh, seeing because I just had the privilege of sitting in so many conversations as people were dreaming. I realized there's about 12 basic shapes. When, when followers of Jesus dream about a better future, they're kind of broad level roadmaps of like, hey, here's different kinds of you know, things. And so I kind of reverse engineer all the, all the conversations and said, Here, here's a starting point. So I use templates and I say, we don't want to, um, we want to accelerate your start, not limit your art. You can be very creative within these templates, even by combining, we, we encourage you to, uh, to combine two templates. That's 121 potential combinations and that's just giving you the scaffolding. That's just giving you, it's kind of like giving you the broad outline of a coloring book picture, but you get to color in all the lines, you know, just the way that God's leading you. That's the beyond the horizon. And this is pretty simple. We want to activate that dream. That's the hardest part. 
Uh, and then this, the background horizon are what are the four most important things to do in the next three years if that dream is going to become a reality? And that's, that is just a broad, here is where we have to emphasize, um, you know, our, our, um, our things. I, I remember, uh, for example, one planter was filling out their background vision. They said, you know, in the next three years, we want to have identified our next planter and our next church plant. In a hundred years, the dream was we want to have a hundred people in a leadership pipeline. And in three years, our dream is that we would see a hundred fresh baptisms that we, we would have baptized a hundred people three years from now. And, and that was kind of the broad, you know, the, the broad level. Uh, they, you know, the three-year dream was um, we will have the infrastructure of our groups will be, be, be made up of 20 house churches. And by the way, that's not goal setting. I call that scope setting. So like based on our resources, based on where we are right now in our time, here's a broad level roadmap of where we're going to, we're going to kind of be aiming. Um, man, that is a, powerful tool just to say we've thought a little bit about where you know where where we're going um so background we call the top one we call beyond the horizon vision because you're not over planning or overthinking it you're just attending to your dreams five years from now what's the nature and feel of the dramatic kind of gospel impact we'll have in our city and our community three years from now what are these broad objectives so that's that's the long it's the top we call the top one four then the bottom one for is what is the what is the inciting incident? What is the one most important goal right now? Now I've always said have a one-year goal. Since COVID starts, I would advocate for going shorter as needed. So right, I mean, when when in the first seven weeks post-COVID, I was readjusting all the one four one fours to say, you know, by September 15th, what is one way you want your team, your project, your family on mission to, to, to have advanced, you know, what one thing do you want to advance? So the, the, the more dramatic uncertainty that we got embroiled with, we, we shorten that time horizon, but generally say, what's your one, your dream. So I'm working with a planner now. What's your dream for 2021? Uh, we, that's singularity. Notice that the one, four, one, four, the horizon storylines, the one, four, one, four, the top is one idea supported by four long range. The short, is one goal supported by four action initiatives. So once you set your one-year goal, the, by the way, that one-year goal is driving down the road. That's where you're spending most of your time looking at. You look at that, you look up to the dream, you look down most of the time at your mid-round, like you're driving. And then you look at your dashboard. You look down at your dashboard. What are, what are we doing this week? What are, how's the next nine days going to play out? And if you notice the 1414, your entire visionary plan never has more than 10 ideas. You know, I'm working right now with a church planner. I'm working with a church, you know, with a, with a gig, with a giga church. You know, it's like, uh, you know, whether you have 10,000 people coming to worship or 10 people on your core team, it is the same one, four, one, four, no more than 10 ideas. And guess what? We solve all the problems, whether you're a great dreamer or whether you're a great executor, the visionary plan, the one, four, one, four fuses the dream and the, and the execution and, and this is what I'm saying. The tool does the work for you, leader. The tool does that work for you. The tool brings out the gifting on your, on your core team. Let the gifts, let the apest come to life. Let those who, who, who complement your gifting come to life. Don't try to be that hero and kill yourself in this project. So the way that you activate all that gifting is by having a plan like this and now your personality is not at the center of the project. Yes, you are the steward. Yes, you are the primary mouthpiece. Yes, you're the catalytic agent. But you have a plan. You take yourself out. You go on vacation for a week. There's still a plan there that everyone gets to exit. They get to share the story. They get to share the dream. They get to fuel their heart. But they get to make decisions that week. And we're all on the same page together. So that, you know, that's the, I want to get that freedom going again, right? Like this is, we're trying to make this, this work exciting and fun to do. I get to do this work. It's not something I have to do. So that, that's, I'm sorry, go four horizons, um, beyond the horizon, five years, beyond where my eyes can see, that's okay. But let's think about it. Let's dream. Three years out, where are your four big rocks? That's your top one, four. I'm over talking this because I don't have the visuals to use right now. I usually like a whiteboard and stuff. One year goal, what is, what is the one thing 
that's going to move the needle compared to everything. Um, bottom, bottom four, right now, what are my four action steps? And those are all tied to each other. I start at the top. So the four things I'm doing in the next 90 days are connected to my one-year goal. My one-year goal is connected to my three-year, my three, my four three-year objectives. And those objectives are all driving the same singular dream. One dream with one clear goal, one dream with four broad ideas and one goal with, with four uh, action steps tied to it. So that's the one four one four best I can do in a sh without having a whiteboard to draw it out. What about, uh, I know your wife's the artist, but can you draw it just quickly on that whiteboard behind you? That uh, yes. paper? I'm uh, so glad, I'm so glad you asked. If you can see it clear enough, we'll do it. So yeah. what you've got is, I'm gonna put it inside the vision frame to remind, to remind everybody that your dream should, should have a, a, a clear mission and model of ministry behind it. So we're gonna draw it like this. So this is your mission, your values, your disciple making strategy and your, and your disciple making measures are your four sides of the frame. And then we pop in the middle of the one, four, one, four. So again, there's no, you know, nothing magical about the frame or this tool other than we're all visual thinkers. And I wanna create as many excuses to have a napkin sketch at Starbucks, put it on a flip chart, put it on a whiteboard, and you know, you're, you're off to the races. So the top, this is the beyond the horizon. I'm just gonna put the big word here. This is the dream, it's one dream. Remember, we try to do too much. Give me one dream. Then I've got these big rocks, these objectives, right? And so what I'll do here for, for, the, for those who, who uh, can see it, this is your five, this is five years here. This is three years. And this is, this together is your long, this is your long range. Then we come down here and we're gonna have one goal. One dream, one goal. By the way, that, and sometimes that's all you need to say. If I have 60 seconds, like, hey, here's the dream, boom, here's our next step. And then, and then literally, you can put the, put the word step down here. These accident, action initiatives are just what I'm thinking about this week. And what I would say is on this chart, you don't have 10 goals. You have 10 ideas that are all interrelated, but there's only one goal. So this you are, you are cutting through the uncertainty of tomorrow with such a dramatic clarity. Your knife blade is so sharp that's where you're getting all the benefits. Remember, the blunt edge of a general sense of where you're going is robbing you of meaning, of inspiration, of focus, of freedom. And, you know, as I sharp, this is the sharpest knife you can lead with. And it's a machete that will cut through the worst jungle. Um, so that, that's the no more than 10 ideas. You've got 10 fingers, 10 commandments. You can handle 10 ideas, but it's a one dream, one goal. We solve the problem of timeframes. We solve the problem of everyone. There's not a division frame for different ministry area. Your children's ministry department doesn't have their own 1414. The children's ministry has the same, you know, so every role in the team is operating off the same playbook here. This is highly inspirational, touches the heart, uh, and it, it just fuses the, um, the execution competencies of the team with the dreaming competencies of the team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember. Uh, a, a this is one year here, and then we say ninety days down here. I'm sorry, God, I cut you off for that. No, I was I was just thinking about uh, the horizon horizon storyline of a church planner we worked with recently, and I remember, you know, he's kind of getting started in 2020 at a 2020 vision of planting 20 churches in the next 20 years. That was his, um, you know, his, his big dream, and you know, very had very kind of specific than uh, a one-year goal um, of launching their church and four main goals to say, okay, if we're going to launch our church in a year, these are the four things we need to focus on. Um, and then above that, very clear focus on uh, what those objectives would be above that. Um, and, you know, it's helping kind of direct all their ministry efforts now going forward. Um, yeah, I, just, I, I just worked with the plant or one of the illustrations I, I use with the planner came to the process is, in January, they were looking at they wanted to they wanted to launch their first public service with 100 participants on mi on mission. Meaning, for them, it was we want 100 people on our core team who 
who've adopted the vision frame, like they're emotionally connected to the vision frame. And, you know, they, they did launch a little earlier by September and, you know, kind of had a big bang public service, but he had basically had a hundred people on the core team as they, before, before they launched their first public service. But I remember, this is interesting, the, the, you know, the, the illustration down here at the steps, they had um, this, their first step in the, the, the their 90 days were, we're going to start, we're going to start our uh, kind of our preview soft, it wasn't a soft launch, but it was, we're going to start kind of practicing a worshiping community once a month. We're going to get going there. They had, we're going to call it, they called it um, um, communal mission training. It was kind of this, you know, missional lifestyle, gospel fluency training that they had. They had a prayer driver where they, it was just a prayer emphasis of, you know, that they were launching. Um, they called it unified and urgent prayer. And then um, what was there? What was there? Um, I can't remember the last one right now, but that, so it's, it, you know, hit, we're going to launch with hundred participants on mission before the end of the year. And your next 90 days here, here, here are our emphases together. And it's like, you're just like, man, I want to follow that leader. By the way, it's not about being right. It's about being clear. There's, there's no such thing as a right one, four, one, four. It's either clear or it's not. And I want to follow somebody who's clear. They're not overconfident. They're not cocky. When this, fe- the more specific you get this, it actually feels beautifully humble because we're not trying to do everything. It, we've, kind of, we've kind of avoided the arrogance of this unlimited potential. So, so the irony is sometimes in your generic vision, a generic vision is more arrogant because it presupposes you can do more than you really can. This is very humble, very approachable, and it becomes attractive and dynamic and magnetic. Nice. All right, let's get to some of the questions that we have. So one question had to do with the timing of it. Like you'd mentioned, you know, with COVID, things changing pretty quickly. Um, in your work, and, and even sometimes I think like some, do you ever change the, like the, that five-year if it's maybe a bigger church or if it's a church plant, does the timeline change at all in your experience? Well, yeah. So this dream is, my definition is it's a five to 20 year dream. You choose your time frame. What doesn't happen is you leave that vague. So yeah, a church might have like, uh, I was with a church not too long ago. They had a seven year dream. Uh, and then, you know, it's, it's an interesting dream, by the way. It's a seven year dream. They said, we want to make it surprisingly easy to start conversations about Jesus every day. That's the dream. We take seven years and in seven years, every single man, woman, and child in our church, it will will be surprised by the ease of starting conversations about Jesus every day. So it's really kind of cool. But the, um, you know, very specific. So this can be, we, we say it's depending on the age and life stage. And I just playfully say, look, Rick Warren has the resources and the trajectory behind him to set a 20 year beyond the horizon. I've never met a church planner that does, you know, it's like, okay, that, so let, you, you gotta, you gotta right size, you know, and I talked about how much, how much, what kind of mission, do you have a culture of mission? Do you have tr- high leadership trust? How much momentum do you have from the prior years? And if you're, if you're at this moment of start, you just pull that time frame. Five years is long enough that it gets you dreaming, but it's short enough that you can feel like you can make some measured progress toward it. Cool. Yeah, another question related to time, that's a pretty simple one, but are the four steps in 90 days or the four steps in a whole year? So that, that at first. Uh, yeah, great uh, question. So, yeah, let me, I'm going to put a double line here to kind of, this is your short range, red and blue. So every 90 days you reset here. Every year you reset this. So if I go a year or if I go three years, it's super simple. And the first thing I do, as soon as I install this, we, I counter block three years out. I'm like, three years from now, you need a big retreat to reset this. Every year we create you know, a planning time to reset our goal. And, I, and basically, I, I, you know, in, in my work, I have the team count. Like if, if, we, if we execute this today, on April 22nd, I counter block a half day to review and reset all four of these 90 days from now. So whatever that is, July 22nd, back half of July, we're resetting. So we launch this for August 1 for the next 90 days. Then we launch it again. Now, this is important. 
do I, do I see any church regularly reset perfectly on the quarter? No. And that's not the idea. Like never become a slave. This serves you the leader. It's a tool to serve you. We're never going to become a slave to, to a tool on this. For example, I was with the church um, on Monday and it's a mainline church. It's an established church, moves a little bit slower than the average bear. And we just actually modify this to be 120 days. And we just run from January to, to, to May. We run a semester down here. And in August, we'll run August to November. And basically, we take a breath over December, take a breath over July. You know, there's just a make this fit your context in, in life. So my, I do have a high challenge and I'm going to overly idealize it just because that's my role to keep you sharp, to push you and challenge you. But I never want that to, I never want you to feel like you become, um, the, you don't serve this tool, the tool serves you. So all that to say, this is always imperfect in terms of how you renew it, how you reset it. Give yourself breathing room. And when you have that time, make that counter block the march. Ca- counter blocking is the key, is a key. It's a skill, it's a commitment, but it's completely free. And nothing is keeping any listener right now from counter blocking three years out. Counter blocking three years out is part of being a master at clarity. You're, and you're not, you're, all you're doing is saying, I'm, I'm going to park the time to attend to uh, the highest and best use of every minute of my day, of, of every minute of my team, of all the dollars I have, of all the souls that are connected to this project I'm doing. Uh, which, by the way, I call the 4% life. I mean, if you need to spend 4% of your time to maximize the other 96% of it. And I would appeal to the common experience again to say that. If a friend comes from out of town, they're going to spend two hours in your hometown and they've never been to your hometown before. If, whether it's a two-hour evening or a five-hour half day, you'll spend about 4% of that time planning how you're going to use that time. If I gave everybody listening a free week vacation, um, go anywhere in the world, do anything you want, out of the hours of that week of your vacation, you'll spend 4% of that time planning your ideal dream vacation. You do all the time. So this is going back to biographical experience again. What you do intuitively when you're excited about spending your time, you need to do organizationally and vocationally for how you're leading your church. Park 4% of time so that you're always uh, um, updating your horizon storyline. Remember, you don't need a vision statement. You need a visionary state of mind. You need a horizon storyline. Cool. Uh, several questions. Uh, I'll try to ask this one question. Maybe we can kill multiple birds with one stone. Um, related to uh, coming up with vision, kind of getting your elders on board with it, you know, who's all part of this process. Can, and there was also a question about kingdom, the kingdom concept. Um, so can you talk just briefly about the kingdom concept and, you know, how um, you'd put that together, especially even if you're a, a new church plant? Um, yeah. In, a, in an ideal world, the kingdom concept is, is kind of on the opposite spectrum of the process on this. So you have a kingdom concept, which to me, let me draw that in a different color, is a foundational step of understanding, you know, what, what is really, this is really about exegeting your heart, your local context, and the people who've joined you. And so what I do here usually is for a church planner, I say, look, you've got your local community doesn't change. You've got, you've got a group of people who've joined you. That's a little bit smaller. Um, you, you've got your passions and stuff that's going to develop and grow a little bit. So your kingdom concept looks a little lopsided because people are still joining the project as God works. You're, you're, you're discerning more as you go, but this is a thinking pre-step to really understand your uniqueness, your unique place, your unique people, your unique passion as a planter. And I use this to inform the development of your unique disciple-making mission and model. So this is like, okay. And again, I, I don't, I don't want to have the God dream conversation until I have confidence that you know that you, that you how to make disciples. Your disciple-making mission, your disciple-making, you know, your disciple-shaping values, your disciple-making strategy, and your disciple-scorecard. you know, scorecard. What, what kind of disciple is this church designed to produce? I don't want you to have a dream if you don't know what kind of disciple you're designed to produce. Your Beyond the Horizon vision will, will be a parachurch organization and stop church planning and go start a 501c3 nonprofit that's not a local church if you don't have a vision for a disciple-making playbook. It's only after you have a disciple-making playbook 
that we come in and do, you know, do the one, four, one, four, or ideally I would say, right. So just to clarify this, this is, this is, I'm going to use my 21 year old daughter who's just about to graduate school and she just got her first job, full-time job. This is doing her spiritual gifts inventory before she does her resume. This is, Hey, what am I going to be when I grow up? What's my first year career plan look like? So this is just a statement of potential capability. Kingdom concept is naming that, that big idea. How is God at work in a one of a kind way here? This is, wow, we, we know our model of ministry. And, you know, today we know how we're executing. This is going, we have the dream. And here's our, here's our playbook to advance that dream. Now, these are all organically connected. So hopefully my, my dream, like I don't lead with this, by the way. This is a thinking step. And I know when, when groups use, to, Kingdom Cost is a very popular church planning tool, but in some ways, it almost gets a life of its own in addition to vision framing. For me, it was a step to get here, but you leave this behind. You don't lead. You, this is not you articulating either your model of ministry or your better future. This is a thinking step to make sure you're not photocopying vision. The kingdom concept exists because of my first five years of ministry. I couldn't get church planners or any church leaders to not use the prevailing winds of whatever's you know, trending to define their language. They couldn't find their own words anymore. It's like, please don't tell me you want to make fully devoted followers of Christ. That was Bill Hybel's process. What's your process? It's like, yeah, please don't use, you know, you know, please don't use Jeff Vanderstelt's, you know, uh, values or playbook, like find your own. I mean, so whoever, you know, whoever you're following and trending with, you know, don't just cut and paste their words. That's what the kingdom concept exists for. Cool. Uh, Just, just a quick question is uh, somebody had, I put this up and I wanted just to even get some clarity for myself with, with the way things are changing really quick, right? Like, so COVID was one of those things that just disrupted us. Um, and you think about that, that big five-year goal that you're, you're pushing everything up to um, how, how should we thinking about like the, the constant landscape of change? Yeah, that's a great question. And let me, <laughs> This is really, really huge importance. I see a night and day difference between people who had a vision frame and a 1414 before COVID or not. Like you will see over the next couple of years how clarity was the distinguishing feature of the churches that thrived in this time. Your dream doesn't change during COVID. It actually gets more fun to think about how, how we can advance this even better now because good dreaming here. So your mission didn't like, so this is what's cool. If you had a fully operational vision frame and horizon storyline pre COVID, the only thing that changed on your, on your storyline, your strategy changed at the bottom. Cause or, excuse me, on your vision frame, your, your, your strategy changed, meaning, okay, we're not quite worshiping the exact same way we did last week. Um, but, but the mission of Jesus didn't get boarded up. And, you know, you know, it's like, there's all kinds of, we got to pivot. We had to do that. And then the only other thing that changes here is your, your short rent, your short range gets kicked to the curb. So it's got to name that, but literally four fifths of your vision doesn't, your vision frame doesn't change. Your mission doesn't change. Your values don't change. Your scorecard doesn't change. Three sides of the frame are completely intact. You got to rethink the bottom of the frame and your long range doesn't, didn't need to change. The, and I, I didn't necessarily know that right away, but within like, week after week after week. And I'm just in the trenches with so many churches. I'm like, everyone's like, oh my gosh, our dream even makes more sense now. In other words, we were able to grab onto things, even though we lost our, you know, if, if Sunday is all you had, man, it's, it's, it's the most depressing moment in your life. But when you have a dream, no big deal. We can't, we can't meet the same way we used to. We got values, no big deal. We, we, we got our value system. So what I said when, what I said was when COVID hits, your ministry is only as good as the clarity you had yesterday and the disciple making momentum that, that you had, you know, the year before. And, and COVID doesn't take away any of that. I, I've even said to, you know, this is getting a different topic. I mean, Jesus in John six creates like a COVID moment. Like 
his teaching is so hard, people leave the deal. Jesus doesn't build his ministry on the crowds. He built it on a few. Jesus had radical clarity, invested in a few people, and COVID actually didn't take that away from, 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 our, from our planting endeavors. Yeah. Well, thanks, Will, for joining us. We've run out of time. Um, but yeah, we really appreciate you joining us. I know if you have more questions, if you haven't read Church Unique yet, uh, make sure you read Church Unique. You know, if you've got elders and you're trying to get them on board with what you're doing with the mission, trying to kind of figure out, you know, what's our kingdom concept so that we can, you know, create all of these tools, you know, start there, talks about the kingdom concept, talks about the vision frame, and then, yeah, and then follow it up with God dreams to be able to help you have some, uh, kind of a, a, a template to be able to fill out your own one, four, one, four. Um, so, and then, uh, Will, there's, you've also started future church. Um, uh, can you just like, mention what that is and how people can know a little bit more about future church? Yeah. The church unique and God dreams are volume one and volume two on, on visionary planning. I will say to the planners, because you mentioned elders and core team, there is, this is a four part book and part three is the, is the uh, vision frame part. So you can highlight uh, with, with God dreams, I actually had the publisher mark the pages of where I wanted the boards to read. So you have a little bit of a black edge line there. In other words, there's always a smaller part that you kind of want everyone to read. And then the whole book is for, you know, the leader. So part three of this book is that kind of easier short read, right? Uh, what I did, so these are, these, if, this is, if this is volume one and volume two of visionary planning, these came out between 2000 and 2020. I would say it was helping a lot of new permission churches plan in the 80s and 90s kind of continue to get in bed a missional mindset and, and build a model around that. I was anticipating that after, 220, after 2020, things would change. So this was a three-year project before COVID. I sent it to the publisher on March 8th one week before we're gonna close our churches in America. This is a prequel. So I, this is not the toolbox book the same way these are, but this is saying, if you wanna do this stuff 2020 to 2040, here, here are some laws of real church growth. Um, it, here's the way I would say it to church planners. I would say in the last five years, every 10 planners I work with, Half of them present a strategy that feels like they're planting worship services, hoping to get disciples. Half of them plant a disciple-making strategy, and they're not in a rush to open a worship service. Like future church is written because times are changing so fast post-COVID. You really want, I, I, this is a paradigm book to say, don't go back to an old scorecard. The future looks different. Here are the seven laws of real church growth. In a nutshell, as we wrap, this is saying, don't let the functional great commission of your church plant be go into all the world and make more worship attenders, baptizing them in the name of small groups and teaching them to volunteer a few hours a month. You know, have a dream, have something bigger than just the few things you do at church. Um, and unfortunately, without intentional processing and tools, many church planners' visions reduce down to that, you know make worship attenders, baptize them in small groups, teach them to volunteer. All right. Well, thank you, Will. And thank you, Elijah, for joining us today. Um, thank you all for who came in, asked some good questions. We'll be back on in a couple more weeks with another topic related to the nuts and bolts of church planting. So we hope you will join us then.